Disenfranchised by the modern comics industry, Scott Gardner and Michael Bailey now ply the time stream in a never-ending quest to rediscover and reconnect with that unique brand of fun and excitement that can only truly be found in good old-fashioned, randomly selected comic book back issues. Journey with them now. Back. Back to the bins. Hello and welcome to Back to the Bins. We are so glad to be back and bringing you some more random comic book awesomeness. I am Scott Gardner. And I am Michael Bailey. Hey, how's it going, dude? It is It is so awesome. This, <laughs> this is like the most excited I have been to record. We're recording two of these tonight. This is the most excited because of the book. The books that I read were really cool. One was kind of goofy as hell, but one was just fucking awesome so <laughs> i chose to uh start off with the goofy one this time around oh cool uh, I, I i do want to do one quick thing though uh I, I thanked him on from crisis to crisis i want to thank him here alan uh leach jr and again i'm probably messing up his last name uh sent me a care package you've gotten care packages from listeners before i mostly well, get i don't care packages <laughs> But uh, in addition to sending me a bunch of cool Superman stuff, he sent me one. He sent me a print of that Hostess ad that we read on Tales of the JSA with uh, that's getting her on the old chinchilla. <laughs> it's it's really kind of cool looking. And he sent me two, count them, two treasury-sized Shazam books. Oh. Man, these things are awesome. One of them has uh, Bostwick on the cover. Uh, oh, I know the one you're talking. Yeah, I had that when I was a Jackson kid. Jackson Yeah, I know and, it well. And the other one has Captain Marvel sitting there with his arm around Billy, and Billy's kind of hanging out on his uh, on his leg. And I haven't read the stories yet because they are kind of classic, and you and I have discussed before our feelings about Golden Age and that goofy damn series, but they've got a lot of cool stuff in them and I'm just really glad to have them. And I wanted to thank Alan again for sending those to me because wow, those things are like 15, 20 bucks. And yeah. he was just like, ah, you know, I got these in trade somewhere. So it's just like, awesome. So thank you very much, Alan. You, you, you have our appreciation or at least you have my appreciation. Yeah, yeah, right. What's he done for me lately? <laughs> no, I'm kidding. <laughs> He's listened a... to your damn show. No, no, I'm I'm, te- I'm totally <laughs> teasing because you were just saying the other day, it was like, how come you're always the one that gets all the cool shit in the mail? Now I can do that. Now I can pout. <laughs> God damn it. Nobody has sent me to Sam oversized in the mail. <laughs> but no, I just got some awesome stuff in the mail the other day too. So no, no, our, our listeners – I'm serious. I, I know that we we write up all kinds of funny stuff on on the um, on the Libsyn page and all that. But when it comes to the blurb that we keep trying to one up each other on how awesome our listeners are, we yes. mean that shit sincerely. Oh, we, definitely. Our, you guys, you guys are so cool. 
I mean, yeah, that's so nice. It makes it all really worth it. It, it does. It really, really does. I mean, it's just, you know, because you and I would sit there and talk comics regardless. I mm-hmm. mean, that's just, that's just our personalities. But, uh, yeah, it's, it's real. it's really cool to, to, I mean, getting free stuff is cool, but just having, just knowing that somebody, I mean, they could have sent like, like a 50 cent book that they picked up saying, Hey guys, review this one. And I would have been just as like, Oh, cause it's the thought. It really is. It is. It's thought that it totally that, is. So, uh, but I'm going to kick us off this week because we are, we are back to the old format of picking out a random book and reading it. And this is kind of random. Uh, we had talked about it on tales of the JSA and you mentioned that you were kind of curious about what the story was. So I dug out DC Comics Presents number nine, which was that cover that looked like Superman and Wonder Woman were fighting Iceberg Head. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, unfortunately, it is not Iceberg Head. But oh. It like... <laughs> yeah, I was kind of I was kind of hoping the entire time. Oh, like, that's so. Oh, thanks for coming, folks. Have a good night. Oh, that sucks, dude. I was really, really because he does totally look like Iceberg Head. It has a really awesome Ross Andrew and Dick Giordano, the late Dick Giordano. God, that's sad. Uh, fighting this ice creature. It says two superstars of movies and TV in Titanic team action. That's not the action most people want to see Superman and Wonder Woman in, but. We move on, and Wonder Woman's getting like hit back. Uh, like he, the ice creature has Wonder Woman's lasso, and she's got a hold of it. And Superman says, "My super strong punch and Wonder Woman's magic lasso can't stop this ice monster. Earth is doomed to another ice age." So we open to a splash page, really kind of rare around this time because they were they had stopped kind of doing splash pages, I believe, in the sixties. Or was no Superman was still doing it around this time, wasn't he? I'm wrong. I'm sorry. I was thinking of like Marvel and stuff that had stopped doing that by that point. But we have the rocketed as a baby from the exploding planet Krypton. Kal-El came to Earth, whose environment gave him fantastic superpowers. In Metropolis, he poses as Clark Kent, but battle e- battles evil the world over as Superman. And on the other side, granted the wisdom of Athena, the strength of Hercules, the speed of Mercury, the beauty of Aphrodite, Princess Diana left her Amazon home to become the legendary Wonder Woman. And Superman is using his heat vision on one of two ice creatures, and it's bouncing off the ice creature and, like, hitting Wonder Woman, and she is blocking it with her bracelets. And this is called Invasion of the Ice People. Get ready to groan. Written by... Martin Pascal. Oh, boy. Uh, art by Joe Staten and Jack Abel. <gasps> Ooh. Doesn't really look like Staten artwork. Hmm. It's really odd. It looks more like Ross Andrew artwork. I mean, you, you can see flashes of Staten here and there, but mostly it looks like kind of just generic Superman art. I'm sorry, it's what year of, was this again? Um, this is May 1979. Hmm. Okay. Yeah, it's it's kind of weird. Anyways, Clark Kent and Lois Lane travel to a ramshackle house right outside Metropolis to interview Anton Lepescu, a noted sculptor. Anton is apologetic because he has to cancel the appointment, but before he can explain why, he gets that faraway look in his eye that I kind of get when I'm kind of hungry and there's a Taco Bell nearby, <laughs> and he bolts outside. 
Mrs. Quinch, Anton's housekeeper, explains that every so often a trance comes over him and he runs outside to work on the giant Iceman that started its quote-unquote life as a snowman, but after it froze, Anton started to chisel at it. Anton comes back in and collapses, leading Clark to shout for someone to call a doctor. Eventually, Anton starts coming around and Clark is like, dude, what the fuck? So Lepescu acts like he's coming around from a good bender, but before he can really explain himself again, a giant ice hand crashes into the house and grabs him. Clark Kent is knocked backwards, and this is actually a neat bit of art. He's knocked backwards, and he uses falling down the stairs as a chance to turn into Superman. So it's a neat little, like, like he's got this holy crap look on his face, and it's just kind of cool. Superman flies towards the creature who is telling Anton that no one will know what he, what the sculptor knows. The creature drops Anton off of a cliff and instead of catching him, which might damage the sculptor's frail body, Superman uses a bit of super suction uh, to bring a giant snowdrift up and Anton drops onto <laughs> it safely. Super I'm sorry. This is like when Superman's powers were used he had a girlfriend that had that power once. Don't knock it till you try it, dude. <laughs> Golf ball through a garden hose. Very there you awesome. go. Superman tries to find the creature, but can't. But he does see something that is very odd. Meanwhile, at Metropolis International Airport, the ice creature is tearing the place up. In a plane above the airport, Diana Prince is bitching about her bad timing of coming into the uh, airport during a snowstorm when she notices the attack. The creature starts whining that it is too warm and lets out a hypersonic signal that causes everyone but Diana a great deal of pain. Diana changes into Wonder Woman and pretty much kills everyone in the plane because I I think it's in the air. It looks like it's in the air and she just busts open the door. That's not a good thing to do. That plane is going down. I'm sorry. Wonder Woman just killed a bunch of people. (laughs) Anyways, uh, the Man of Steel realizes that the creature has weather-changing power, and after using his X-ray vision, discovers that the creature is a hollow piece of ice animated by some mysterious force. He tries to use his heat vision on the creature, but it gets swatted away like a fly. Wonder Woman tries to rope the creature with her magic lasso, but the ice creature grabs the lasso and Wonder Woman is forced to unhook it from her belt loop, and the Amazon princess hits the ground hard. Meanwhile, Superman has gotten a second win and crashes through the creature, which doesn't do a whole lot of good other than to create a bunch of smaller ice creatures. Superman goes to chase the creatures, but spots Wonder Woman and the two compare notes. They are tired of being behind the eight ball when it comes to this alien thing, and they go back to Anton's house. There they find Mrs. Quinch, unconscious. Superman feels her up a little bit, and Wonder Woman tells him to stop. Wait, that doesn't happen at all. Um, when, when she revives, revives, Mrs. Quinch tells him the story that Anton had told, told her. Apparently, the ice creature is inhabited by a life form from the planet, I'm going to say, Skyrin. It's spelled S-K-Y-R, uh, S-K-I-R-O. Uh, sorry, not S K Y R N. I keep saying I instead of Y, which has a which was a cold planet that was also dying because the sun was about to go nova. The Skyrians could generate cold, but with the sun about to go nova, they need to find an escape plan. 
They discover Earth, and using a power unknown to Earth science, the lone Skyrian distilled himself down to his essence and came to Earth to take over Anton and make him sculpt the ice creature. Quinch heard via the creature's telepathy that the creature was going north, and soon Superman and Wonder Woman follow the trail. They find the ice creature in short order, who is now back in his giant form, freezing the Atlantic as Anton sculpts another creature. As Superman and Wonder Woman fly in, the creature divides his life essence into the new creature. They attack, and Wonder Woman realizes that the creature is freezing the Atlantic so that they can walk to the North Pole. Superman lets loose his heat vision, but the creature is now strong enough to withstand it. The heat vision bounces off the creature's chest and nearly fries Wonder Woman, who plays a little bullets and bracelets with it. Taking this as its chance, the creature sucker punches Wonder Woman, which pisses Superman off something fierce, and he creates a chasm between the two of them with, no shit, a super karate chop. That's what he calls it. (laughs) Superman and Wonder Woman immediately start running in circles around the creatures, and soon Wonder Woman is essentially riding in Superman's wake. And the plan was that they travel so fast that the creature can't read their thoughts. Wonder Woman says, okay, now, and they both punch one of the creatures, and and that shatters them into a thousand pieces. Wait, 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 wait. Are you implying that Superman actually can fly faster than the speed of thought with this story? Yes, well, Martin Pasco is. I'm not. Okay. I didn't write it. So. Anyway, Superman finds the alien essence and puts it in a thermal container, which he had retrieved from the fortress at some fucking point in the story that is never revealed. <laughs> Wonder Woman realizes that the container will maintain the creature's high temperature, but she is curious as to why the hell it thought Earth would be cold enough for it in the first place. Superman reasons that Skyrim must be thousands of light years away, and, it, and the images it saw had left Earth thousands of years ago. So Wonder Woman finishes the thought by saying that the Earth that the Skyrim saw was still in its Ice Age. And this is the final line. No shit. Now, how about that? Its intended conquest of Earth was doomed from the start. And that's it. That's all. That's the story. <laughs> you know, the thing about DC Comics Presents is sometimes you've got a really awesome story. Yep. Like the next, like the next issue, uh, which we kind of touched on on Tales of the JSA, is um, the one where he teams up with Sergeant Rock. Yeah, you know that's a really good story. It's an imaginative story. This is not. It's it's not the worst team up I've ever read with Superman, but this is definitely one of the weakest DC Comics presents I have ever read, because really and truly. It doesn't make a whole hell of a lot of sense, and there are certain things that happen, like, I, I, thank God I have this thermal container that I thought to get from my fortress. At no point does he go to his fortress in this issue. At no point. Pasco just pulled that out of his ass, and it's just <laughs> like, I, I needed this, so it, it was there. And doesn't this feel like an episode of Star Trek? It kind of sounds like it. That that whole that name Skyron sounds. It's been tickling my brain ever since you said it. It really <laughs> sounds familiar. But seriously, this seems to me like like something like not one of the not one of the worst episodes of the original series, but still not one of the best ones where they come across this alien being that just wants 
wants to inhabit one of them because it's trying to survive and it just causes a whole lot of problems. Right. <laughs> yeah, th- that's this plot. And I hate to keep bitching about Martin Pasco, but it just seems like he's more missed than hit with his stories. I don't know why that is, because some of his stories I really, really like, but it's stuff like this that I'm just like, wow, this is... This is the same guy that's written some really awesome issues of Superman, but he's also the guy that wrote that issue of Superman that had Superman hypnotizing everybody into believing that Clark Kent looked different than Superman. Well, he's also the guy that wrote that Marvel Star Trek issue where they found gnomes and, and elves <laughs> and shit, too. So I'm never, ever going to let him live that down, by the way. So, I mean, I'm, I'm, I mean, I'm not trying to be overly critical of it. Uh, the, the artwork is pretty good. Again, it doesn't really look like Joe Staten, but it's still kind of cool. It's got some great ads. Um, there's a uh, ad for <laughs> there is a hostess ad. Do you want me to read that? Yeah. Okay. Very good. It's a penguin one. Oh no. Uh, you know, there's a fruit stripes gum ad. There is a contest. How would you like to come to New York City and become a character in a Wonder Woman comic? They got a picture of Linda Carter there, and basically. This was the contest. You had to finish this sentence in 50 words or less. The daring rescue I would like to see Wonder Woman perform is. <laughs> yeah, I was, I was just stopping on that one. Oh, I could go so many places with that story. But, but here, here are the prizes to this. The grand prize is an all-expenses-paid Wonder Woman weekend in New York for the winner and a parent, chaperone, or guest. Three days and two nights at the world-famous Drake Hotel, dinner at Sardi's and the Four Seasons, visits to New York's tourist attractions, and an afternoon at DC Comics where the winner will become an, uh, will become part of an upcoming Wonder Woman story. Runners-up will be eligible to re- receive 25 Wonder Woman wristwatches, 50 Wonder Woman sleeping bags, and 100 Wonder Woman lunchboxes. You know, usually the second prize is still kind of cool, like a, a year subscription to a comic book or something. No, you get a wristwatch. Yay! Uh, there's an <laughs> ad for that issue of Adventure Comics where they fought that goofy-looking guy who was ultimately responsible for Batman's death. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, Jenkins or whatever his name was. No, not Jenkins, the guy behind him. That, oh, okay, yeah. In that purple costume that's so memorable that I can't remember his name. <laughs> I was um, just thinking the same thing. Wow, we only read that like a couple weeks ago, and already I can't remember. <laughs> what a fantastic story! Yeah. Uh, it has an ad for the world's greatest superheroes newspaper strip, which I actually have a collection of now in, a, in like a pocketbook-sized uh, thing. Is that the one with the with the Superman cover on it? I, mm-hmm. I think it's by uh, I want to say it's by like Saviak or somebody on that cover of that. But yeah, yeah, I have that too. I, I, I was just looking at that the other day, thinking, man, I need to reread that again. But you know, the, the odd thing is, my favorite ad in this entire story is it says "See Superman the Movie," and it has Superman the Movie in that silver lettering. Yeah. And then it says, read Superman in DC Comics. And yeah. I'm like, yes! <laughs> yep. That's exactly what you should be telling them to do. 
Yep, I remember that one very, very clearly. Uh, I, 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 that just made me smile. It really did. There, there's also an ad for Batman and Robin with magnetic hands and feet. Holy magnets, this is what I call a sticky situation. Imagine <laughs> the adventures you can create with the big 12-and-a-half-inch superheroes. <laughs> Batman and Robin, now more dynamic than ever with magnetic hands and feet that stick to almost any metal, even each other. Oh, that's just creepy. Now that's both, what I call a sticky situation. Yeah, both are fully posable and ready for any crime fighting action. Ah, <laughs> uh, but I'll do this hostess ad real quick. So you've never read this story before? I get into that. You, you, no, I no, I haven't. Yeah. You know, you you had commented on how how uh, DC Comics Presents was very hit and miss. Now this theory. Somebody somebody out there could probably easily shoot holes in this theory, but I'm going to venture a half-assed theory that nine times out of ten, the way you can tell whether your your issue, the 50-cent the, the find of a DC Comics Presents <laughs> is going to be worth a shit or not, is whether he's teaming up with somebody who's actually one of his teammates in the Justice League. Because if they are, nine times out of ten, that story's going to suck. You know what? I'll totally agree with you on that. Because it's like... With the exception of Firestorm, I was who just going to say, yeah. who wasn't a Justice Leaguer yet. In fact, yeah. that's what got him into the Justice League. But the Red Tornado story isn't all that good. Yeah. But the Mister Miracle story is, and like any Green Lantern story, sucks. Yep. It's like the only good thing about DC Comics Presents number twenty six is the new Teen Titans preview inside. <laughs> <laughs> but no, you're no. Now that I'm thinking about it, you're absolute. Well, no. I'll disagree with that because that Flash two-parter that kicked the series off with that Jose Luis Garcia Lopez art was kind of good. But yeah, on the whole, you're absolutely right. Anyways, we do have a hostess ad. It says, The Penguin in Penguins on Parade. Look, an onlooker says, A parade for emperor. A a parade of emperor penguins. Must be an advertising gimmick. You aren't looking at penguins, my dear. They are puppets in a pecutionary plot that will soon thicken. While everyone's attention is engaged by my penguins, I shall take possession of the Emperor's sword, a king's ransom, and gems in history. Well, 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 somebody has left some hostess fruit pies, easily accessible. Apple and cherry. I think a little stopover to enjoy some of these would would not be amiss. We put the penguins and the emperor's sword together and knew you had to be near, one of the cops says as they grab his legs. And thanks to Hostess Fruit Pies, you're not only near, but caught. Oh, well, wah, I didn't get a fortune in gems, but wah, I did get the light, tender crust of the real fruit filling of Hostess Fruit Pies. The day wasn't a total loss, and they put them in a cop car. And you do get a big delight in every bite of Hostess Fruit Pies. Yay! <laughs> that one was kind of weird and strange and kind of lame. <laughs> it's almost exactly like that Joker one we read. Yeah, you know, I was thinking that actually that that it didn't seem like there was a lot of uh a lot of variety in the villain ones. <laughs> but that's all I got unless you have some final thoughts on it. No, just that I'm disappointed that it wasn't Iceberg Head. <laughs> I know, dude. I'm sorry. Uh, you could have lied to me and totally made my day. And then I'd have gone out and sought the back issue and been like, that lying son of a bitch. 
But. So you see, you couldn't win either way, really. No, it's kind of like going home and visiting my sisters. You know, maybe my wife is right. She says that all the time. There's no winning with you. So I guess maybe she's right after all. <sighs> anyway, I got me a Marvel comic book. How about Yay! that? Yay! All right, for this particular one, we are going back to June 1982 and we have mr chris honeywell to thank for this one this this uh comic book sponsored by chris honeywell this is marvel comics daredevil the man without fear number 183 and i feel like before i go any further i must issue a warning which is not much of a daredevil fan okay so bear with me folks i know he's got (laughs) legions of fans i'm just letting you know right up front because I love the cover on this one. This is, the, the cover says, again, The Punisher. Which kind of confuses me once you get into the story inside, but I'll get there in a minute. Anyway, the cover depicting Frank Castle, The Punisher, holding this big-ass, mean-looking gun. It actually looks like an Uzi that's just, like, way too big. <laughs> and he's uh, blowing a hole through the middle of the Daredevil. And I'm just looking at this going... Oh, I wish so bad that this actually happened inside the issue, which it does not. Spoiler alert, the hero does not get blown away in the issue. <laughs> Big spoiler, right? So anyway, this one, uh, the cover, by the way, is by Frank Miller, in case I forgot to say that. The uh, credits on this one, Roger McKenzie and Frank Miller are both credited as writers. And Frank Miller and Klaus Jensen are the artists. The story is entitled Child's Play. And we start off with this... Uh, I believe it's supposed to be like a Catholic school. And Matt Murdock is there for God knows what reason, giving, I guess he's talking to these kids about like law and justice and stuff. It never really says exactly why he's there. But anyway, this girl in the middle of class, she flips out because she's on drugs. Angel does specifically. (laughs) And she thinks that snakes are crawling in her and out of her and eating her brain and all this stuff. She flips out. She dives out the window and plummets to the, the pavement below. Matt Murdock pulls a Clark Kent, runs into a storeroom or something. It actually looks like an old-fashioned phone booth. It really does. Changes to Daredevil, runs outside, and, uh, you know, all these people are gathered around where this kid went splat. And they're basically like, you know, where the hell's the ambulance? And Daredevil's like, it's going to take them at least 15 minutes to get here. So he picks up um, this kid, which I always thought you weren't supposed to move somebody that, you know, tumbled several stories out of a building. But anyway, he picks this kid up runs across town to the hospital, and she dies. Now, this is all very sad, yet there is a slightly hilarious scene of the doctor coming out, you know, from the operating room to say, oh, Daredevil, and, you know, kind of giving him the whole update on on her condition. At this point, he tells her he died. It totally looks like Daredevil was just sitting in the waiting room reading a magazine while they were operating on it, because he's... In this position where it looks like he's just standing up and it looks like he's setting a magazine on the table. And that just cracks me up for some reason. I don't know why. You know, it's just such a normal human being thing to be doing, sitting in the waiting room, reading a magazine while, you know, you're, you know, whoever you're there for is, is being operated on or what. But, you know, he's fully in costume and everything. It just looks really funny. So anyway, they're talking and the doctor basically at this point goes into a public service message on the dangers of angel dust or whatever the hell this girl was on. And her kid brother comes in. 
He's screaming. He's having a fit. Take me to Mary. I want to see Mary. And Daredevil at this point has to tell the kid, you know, I'm sorry she died. She didn't make it. Kid flips out, says, I know who did this. It was those scumbag drug pushers, and I'm going to get the sons of bitches and all this. And and Daredevil, again, this scene cracked me up because Daredevil says, uh, Billy, wait. I know how you feel, but you can't take the law into your own hands. Billy! And I'm thinking, it always cracks me up when a masked vigilante tells somebody you can't take the law into your own yeah. hands. <laughs> hey, yeah. Excuse hey, me, pot, Mr. Superhero. That kettle black. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Excuse me, Mr. Hypocrite Superhero. <laughs> so, Daredevil, he changes into this disguise, which is both completely ridiculous and very, very, very funny because it's obvious that um, he's blind. He dresses up very, he looks very much like Moon Knight's disguise of the cabbie, except he still has his mask on. So, you know, he's got the jacket and he's got the cabbie hat and everything. Yet he still has his Daredevil clothes on. Which, as I saw this, I'm thinking, that's not going to fool anybody. And it turns out I'm right. It doesn't fool anybody. So the kid goes home. He knows exactly where Pop stores his uh, gun in his underwear drawer or whatever. And he, he steals his dad's gun. And he goes out looking for trouble, basically. And we get this scene of uh, these young kids uh, going to get drugs from the guy that they sell drugs for. You know, basically the, the intermediate guy between, you know, the, the kids on the street selling the drugs and then like the big drug czar guy. This guy's like the, the, the middleman. And Daredevil's walking down the street in his totally useless disguise when all these toughs surround him and they're just punk kids. And I'm thinking, isn't, you know, maybe it wasn't established yet, but I always thought Daredevil was supposed to be this, like, super badass ninja dude, you know, with the radar thing and all that. But in this one, these kids that look like they can't be more than, like, 15, 16 years old, they kick his ass, which I thought was really hysterical. He's really not so tough in this one. Well, he doesn't really want to hurt them, does he? Isn't that one of the lines? Yeah, he doesn't really want to hurt them, but at the same rate, you know, it's like, you know, you can defend yourself, you know? I mean, you know, pull your ninja shit and, you know, knock him down or something. Well, as he's laying on the ground, about to be, you know, his brains are about to be bashed in with his kid with a uh, baseball bat. Suddenly a knife plunges into the kid's back and he drops dead. And it turns out that his savior is none other than Frank Castle, the Punisher. And the Punisher wades into these kids and is kicking the shit out of them. And Daredevil's kind of out of it because of uh, a blow he took to the head. Yet he kind of snaps out of it when he realizes that uh, the the Punisher has just cocked his gun and he's about to blow these kids away. And he and, uh, Dare- and Punisher kind of look like they're about to get into it. Now, this was the part I was a little bit confused. The cover says, again, the Punisher. Yet... Right here, the Punisher actually actually introduces himself to Daredevil, and he says, you know, pleased to make your acquaintance, basically. I'm the Punisher. You know, I've heard of you. And as he's saying all this, suddenly there's a shot um, out of the blue, and uh, that stooly guy, the intermediary guy between the kids and the, and the drugs are, he drops dead from this shot from somewhere. So while the Punisher races over, and he's like, damn, this was the guy I was looking for. Somebody got to him before I did. Daredevil pulls his, you know, acrobatic stuff and makes his way to the uh, the rooftop where he finds that young boy with, you know, holding the smoking gun. Yet the boy says, 
you know, I didn't do it. I couldn't do it. I wanted to kill him, but I didn't. So later on, we see uh, the kid is before the judge and Matt Murdock agrees to take the kid's case and defend him because, you know, with his super senses, he knows that the kid really is innocent. He really didn't kill the guy. And a little while later, we see Daredevil go to talk to uh, his buddy Ben Urich, and he requests any information that Urich has on the Punisher. And Urich's basically like, are you nuts? You know, you don't want to mess with the Punisher, which I thought that was one of my favorite parts of the whole issue was, you know, Urich's right. You don't want to mess with the Punisher. Not really. Not at all. So Daredevil goes and he pulls all this radar sensey, detective-y kind of weird bullshit uh, pseudo comic book science trying to figure out who actually done it, you know, who pulled the trigger on this scum, you know, this drug scumbag. And his logic to me doesn't really follow. But anyway, it's it's all it's all very convenient to make certain things happen in the plot. Well, while he's up on the rooftops doing all this, he hears again with his super senses somebody getting the shit knocked out of him, and it's the Punisher who's uh, smacking around this guy trying to get information out of him. And Daredevil wades into the Punisher. And they have a really nice battle between the two of them where the Punisher pretty much holds his own. And there's a great panel where Punisher throws Daredevil off. So Daredevil turns and whirls and he throws his billy club thing. Yet the Punisher just draws and fires and shoots the billy club right out of the air. I thought that was really cool. And so they realize that they have a bit of a, a Mexican standoff and the Punisher actually, you know, wants to call a truce. He actually extends the hand of friendship saying, you know, why don't we team up? Why don't we work together and all this? And Daredevil's kind of a dick to him and, you know, pulls the same <laughs> thing that I see so many of these sanctimonious superheroes pull on the Punisher. Well, you know, you and I are so different. You know, you actually kill people and I, I take the high road and all this. And the Punisher is just like, yeah, whatever, and decks him, which is pretty cool. So at this point, the Punisher realizes that he's just not getting through to Daredevil, so he actually shoots him. But he shoots him with a, a tranquilizer dart. And again, this is one of those things that didn't quite make a whole lot of sense to me, is that you know this is supposed to take Daredevil out of the equation, yet Daredevil seems like he's fighting off the effects of the tranquilizer. I don't know if this was just a low dosage or, or something, but it makes Daredevil seem superhuman somehow and i didn't think he actually was superhuman other than his senses you know but it makes him seem that way where where he can shake off this point blank tranquilizer shot to the gut and uh the punisher in the meantime resumes beating on the guy that he was beating on before and he actually beats him to death but uh uh daredevil is actually able to uh to bring the guy back he he uses his you know, his ability to hear the guy's heartbeat to bring him back from from the brink. And Daredevil goes and he confronts the drug czar guy in this, uh, I guess it looks like a pizzeria or something. And basically does the whole, it's almost like the Bond villain thing in reverse, you know, where he tells the villain exactly how he figured out, you know, he was the guy that actually you know, pulled the whole thing off. He was the guy. He. It turns out that the drug czar guy figured out that his middleman was skimming off the top, so he just took him out and f managed to frame the kid for it. And it, it's all very convenient. It's it's interesting and all. It's just a little bit, it's a little hokey. It's a little bit too convenient. 
Um, and as we see Matt Murdock back in court and the kid is let go, you know, his case is, is dismissed. And then they call the drug czar guy up and they're going to arraign him as he protests saying that he didn't do it. Matt Murdock is there and he's again using his super senses and again realizes, well, this guy didn't do it either. So, you know, he's kind of back to square one. We get a nice, just the way this one page is, is laid out. It's just one page, but the way that it's, it's divided up into like almost like newspaper strip style, it shows the Punisher working out and lifting weights and listening to the radio and everything. And it says that the kid has been acquitted and that the drug czar guy is now going to stand trial for this murder and Matt Murdock is going to defend him. And you turn the page and there's a, a great sequence of the Punisher basically finishing up his workout, turning off the TV and grabbing his gear. And it's all silent except for the television, but it's just great. Just really beautifully illustrated. And uh, I have to be honest, I don't say that about Frank Miller very often. I've, you know, it's not, his just, early work is, is rather good in most places. It's just later when he became a caricature of himself for things yeah. off the rails. Yeah, well, I, I'm going to get back to the artwork here in, in, in just a moment. Um, the, the final two pages really threw me for a loop because uh, Daredevil meets up with this girl. What was her name? Heather? Yes. Yeah, Heather. And long story short, and the very last page, which uh, I believe that was a, yeah, it's a splash that takes up the entire page. Uh, he asked her to marry him. And I'm like, who the hell is this girl? So it was obvious to me that for one, I never read every single issue of, of Miller's <laughs> original run, but also what little I did read obviously didn't stick very well because I didn't really know what was going on when it came to the Matt Murdock parts of the story. And I don't remember what the deal is with, you know, again, the Punisher, when it clearly says in here that this is the first time that the Punisher met him. So, yeah, but it, it was good. It was a good story. I really enjoyed it. And I was impressed with the art because um, I can remember when um, Chris Honeywell, you know, I can remember when he discovered um, Frank Miller's Daredevil when we were kids and started buying it. And I distinctly remember giving him shit because I it was years before I came to even be able to really look at anything by Frank Miller. I never had much of a of an, a high opinion of his art. I've come to to respect it and appreciate portions of it now. I can see the the dynamic to it and I can see the layout to it, but it's still not really my favorite art style. I, I find it very kind of sketchy and incomplete somehow if that makes any sense no it makes sense but uh but i do like you know his his, his sense of movement and you know he, he he's very good with capturing anatomy and and capturing uh you know the way people actually stand or move or or their body language and things like that it, he's just one of those artists where I think he capt he can capture that. It, it's the fine detail work that I, I feel is lacking. Yeah, it's it's like he he took a lot of lessons from Will Eisner. Yeah, but uh, but didn't really know, but didn't really have the eye for detail 
that Eisner had. He yeah. could, it's like he could set a scene like Eisner could. It's just it doesn't have the same kind of panache that some of those spirit stories that I've read have. I'll buy that. So, so I'll totally agree. But I got to tell you that 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 page of Daredevil coming in when Punisher is smacking that guy around and he kicks him in the face is just awesome. Yeah, it's just man. I I, I about two pages into you describing this issue, I realized, holy shit, I have read this issue in my Punisher Essential. Oh, okay. This is one of the books that that's uh, reprinted in there. And I was following along, remembering, you know, I really liked this story when I first read it. But you're right. All the drug things just are, like, so freaking hokey at this point. It's very cliche. I, at the time, I'm sure that this was a very cutting-edge, hard-hitting. Hard yeah, but now it just comes off as really, very, very cliched. Your, your typical comic book, you know, kid, kid got hooked on drugs and killed himself story. But uh, what saves this, what really made this uh, a, a fun read for me and, and really interesting was uh, The Punisher. Yeah. You know, this this was at a stage where, you know, this is just a, a couple years prior to where um, I think it's Stephen. Stephen Grant. Stephen Grant, Zek. yeah. And, and Mike Zek. You know, I knew Mike Zek was the artist. I was trying to remember who the writer was. Yes, it was Stephen Grant and Mike Zek really just lit the Punisher on fire and made him pretty much the character he is today. You know, they, they took him from being what he was in the early um, amazing Spider-Man appearances where he was just another, almost like another supervillain almost, or he was like a, almost like a henchman to a supervillain and made him a fully formed character of his own. And you can see sort of the, the genesis of that right here. You know, he, he talks yeah. a little bit out of character. He still kind of talks a little bit comic book cliche in some areas, but the best parts, and there's a lot of them, is the parts where he's not saying anything. Because to me, I, I think the Punisher works best when he's done almost Batman style, where he's dark and brooding and he really doesn't say more than he absolutely has to say in any particular situation. So the the scene toward the very end where he's working out and just looking very driven. It, it, you, you could totally take this same page and make this Bruce Wayne working out, and it, and it works yeah. the same way. Well, the thing about this era in Daredevil is in the previous issue, he brought Frank into the book. And I guess that's why it's saying, again, the Punisher. Oh, okay. Um, and those scenes from that issue are reprinted in the essential, not anything else involving daredevil, just the scenes involving Frank castle. And I really, I recommend no joke. I recommend picking up essential punisher volume one, mainly because it's like every appearance up to and including that mini series. Oh, cool. And you really get to see, and it's in black and white. And that mini series looks so good in black and white. Um, but it really shows you the evolution of the Punisher up until that point where you see him as, like you said, originally kind of a henchman. And then Frank Miller gets a hold of him and just reimagines him as this complete badass. Yeah. And then Bill Mantlo got a hold of him and had him in Spectacular Spider-Man where he made him crazy, essentially, which I never bought. No. The Punisher, The Punisher has issues, but he's not like a freaking Looney Tune. 
I, I, I will make the same argument for for Frank Castle, excuse me, Frank Castle not being insane, you know, crazy Looney Tunes that I will make for Bruce Wayne because I, yeah. I, I I can't stand that portrayal of Bruce Wayne and Batman any more than I can stand it with with Frank Castle because I I think. Yes, they're very dark. They're very driven. They do things that that are a little bit, you know, you know, eyebrow raising. But at the same rate, I don't think any of either one of them have gone completely around the bend because they both operate with a set of rules. And and yes, the, yeah. And so, you know, the day that 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 Batman goes out and starts snapping necks, or the day that that the Punisher goes out there and shoots into a crowd to kill one bad guy, you know, that's, yeah, that's that, where they've turned, you know, that's where they've rounded the corner into, okay, they've lost their, their perspective. They've lost their, their objectivity or whatever. Now they're just crazy, but I don't, I really don't see him that way. And, uh, but I, you know, I, what's fun though, is I don't mind other people in his same universe seeing him that way. You know, yeah. that, that they think he's crazy or that, you know, because I actually liked a lot of the Civil War stuff that that pitted Cap and the Punisher against each other. I thought that that was really interesting to, to see that that dynamic between the two of them, two guys that essentially are, are on the same side and, and arguably, you know, shadows of each other one way or the other, yet they're, they think that they're diametrically opposed to each other or, or you know, their methods or whatever. I, f- I find that very interesting. I, th- I think the Punisher is one of those comic book characters that is easiest for someone who doesn't know what the hell they're doing to fuck up. Oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I, I, I mean, I, I, I think the Punisher is one of the simplest comic books you can write. Mm-hmm. It really is. It's pretty simple. The mob killed his family, so he's going to kill him right back. Right. That's it. Right. You know, have a little brooding over his family to make him seem kind of like human, you know. <laughs> but at, at the end of the day, this is a guy that, no shit, is just has a very simple reason to be and don't try to dirty it up with something kind of stupid, you know? Right. Don't don't try to have him going around putting a, like fake fire hydrants out so he can get somebody a, a, a parking <laughs> ticket because that's part of his big plan. Oh, God. I'm sorry. I don't mean to match that movie, but... It's oh, like that's why I like said. the other one so much, though. The other one, I think, is very much just that way, you know? It, it's pretty straightforward, you know? Rachel looked at me, my wife Rachel looked at me at the end of that movie, of the Thomas Jane movie, and said, that wasn't the Punisher, that was the Merry Prankster. <laughs> and I just laughed. So. <laughs> well, that's all I got for this time. Uh, I really uh, I really dug that issue. Like I said, was- not the biggest Daredevil fan, but I got a kick out of it. I thought it was pretty cool. I think I like Daredevil more than you do, but that was more of a better Punisher issue than a Daredevil issue. Yep. So. Which is why I liked it. <laughs> Thank you so much for listening to our show, and we hope you'll continue to join us each and every week for more good old-fashioned comic book back-issue awesomeness. You can contact Back to the Bins to leave feedback, comments, questions, suggestions, and criticisms via email at backtothebins at gmail.com 
or by visiting the Two True Freaks section of thecomicforums.com. Back to the Bins is produced in association with the Two True Freaks podcast, which you may find at www.twotruefreaks.libsyn.com and is a registered trademark of Demonzo Corps of Milan, Italy. All rights reserved. Back to the Bins is a proud member of both the League of Comic Book Podcasts, which you may find at comicbooknoise.com slash league, and also the Comics Podcast Network, which you may find at comicspodcasts.com. Take a moment to stop by their respective sites and support their other fine podcasts, won't you? Thanks, and we'll see you next week. Thanks.